Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You called off the wedding that day, the morning of the wedding. Why? Why did you do it? The actual night before the wedding, um, I got into my own head. I went down to the river, and I was gone for about five or six hours. And uh, which is by our house, and I was just, um, I got scared. I was overthinking things. Um, I just felt a lot of pressure. Um, I was just feeling lost. And I mean, we, you know, I was just not ready to get married that day. to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry, 90 Day Fiance slash Sister Wives slash Seeking Sister Wife Edition. You guys, I am so upset. I am bummed out because as I'm watching Sister Wives last night, I put my dainty little eyes at the bottom right hand of the cor- of the screen and what do I find? Um, the season finale is next week. What the hell is that? You're telling me that they're what moving this incredible season on the express route for who? Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Andre. No, that doesn't make any sense. If anybody is higher up at TLC, if you know somebody, just know that the people are upset. So Schweiss has been excuse me, getting, I'm I'm like hiccuping because I'm so, Sister Wife has been getting incredible ratings, better, I saw last week their ratings 
were better than Real Housewives of Atlanta, which is a show that like you have to beat on Bravo. So imagine that, you know, flop of a network, TLC, having better ratings than their best rated Housewives franchise. And you're telling me that we can't enjoy this and savor it over the amount of time that we deserve? So we, you guys have to push out a two-hour finale? No. No. <sighs> okay, I just had to let that out. Let me talk about 90 Day Fiance slash get it out of the way. So was there really a whole lot to talk about? No. Were there some relevatory moments? Sure. So let's just, like, get the shit out of the way. Like, Brandon and Julia, I mean, truly, what was there to talk about? How were, how did they get on Happily Ever After? How did they land it? Their whole thing was, okay, first of all, Julia was so thirsty this entire time. Julia and I would say Tariq probably were the most peanut gallery people on stage or, you know, uh, reporting virtually. Julia had an opinion about everybody. She was ready for the camera. She was ready to get her licks in any point she could and say, tell everybody how she felt. Is that something that I want? Generally speaking, yes. Did I like it from Julia? No, because she was just too excited. You know what I mean? Just a little too excited to get her licks in with everybody. Didn't like it. Truly, what was there to talk about? Julia says that she really feels like they just signed a paper. She doesn't feel like anything is different in her relationship with Brandon. They're still living with Betty and Ron Swinger. And uh, she says that Betty has even more rules now because it's kind of like two queen bees in the house, I guess. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, Julie had a moment where she was talking about how, you know, she doesn't really want to live at the house, it's torture, well, not torture, but like, she just doesn't want to live there. Who wants to live with their parents-in-law? Not me. Not that I have any, but you know, theoretically, I probably wouldn't want to live with them. <laughs> but then she gets into this whole thing. Truthfully, you guys, it was so boring. I didn't even understand why everybody got their feathers in a ruffle over it. But there was a point where they were talking about, you know, Brandon kind of threw her under the bus and said, I had picked out, I was looking at land, I was looking at apartments before Julia came to America, and she didn't like it. Um, and then Julia started talking about, you know, how, having to take care of the animals and work on the farm and this, that, and the third. And I guess everybody felt like, oh, you're acting like you're poor me, poor me, when the real issue is something. I don't know what that real issue is. Wasn't going to rewind to find out. I think it was just that they were living there for free. I, I think they're like, oh, well, you're working here and you're acting like this is such a shitty situation. And also you could have lived in an apartment, but you didn't like the ones that he showed you. Mm, I don't know, whatever. Um, that was really it. Except for the part where Betty, they bring up, you know, Betty wanting Julia to go on birth control and the phone call that she made to her doctor on their way to get Julia from the airport and Tariq his first question after the they show that clip was did Julia ask you for advice about birth control because Betty's whole thing was like oh well you know I just thought that she wanted options and you know she feels some type of way about uh medications in her body and I just thought you know it would be helpful if 
I knew she, anything that I said to her wasn't going to hold water, but if she spoke to a professional that maybe they would be able to say, oh, you know, you have different options. And, you know, if you feel nervous and we have a, you know, array of different products that you can use. Okay. That was really it. Tariq again was like, okay, but did you ask her though? <laughs> Those were really like, did she consent to this? Or is this something that you took on your way under your wing? And Betty was really trying to like pussy pop and backpedal out of it and say, oh, well, she wasn't here in America, you know, so I, I, I couldn't ask her. I was just, you know, no, no, no. A woman's right to choose. Thank you, Tariq, feminist icon, for saying what nobody dared to say which is that Julia did not consent to having any sort of uh, Mayberry-esque conversation, some after-school special conversation with your local yokel doctor. Okay? We really didn't see anything of Tariq and Hazel except for the introduction in which they are in Virginia. They're having to Skype in. And the reason why is because they had been exposed to somebody who had COVID, who tested positive for COVID. So they were doing the proper protocols. Also, there seemed to be issues with them. Um, Tariq said, we're filming in different rooms in the house because I don't want her, you know, some things have come up and things have gotten a little dicey between us. So I just think it would be better because I don't want uh, Hazel throwing a pan at my head. Literally, that's all we saw, except for Tariq making a few very astute ob- observations about everybody else. Um, Stephanie and Ryan, not on the show. Stephanie and Harris, not on the show. Really no explanation as to why. They just say, oh, you know, we wish them the best. Doesn't seem like they're going to be on the second part either. Um, who else? Can we go to, uh, I guess, uh, Yara and Jovi. Not a whole lot with them either. Um, as they're walking into the studio, the first thing Jovi says is, I hope they have a bar here. <laughs> okay. It seems like Yara and Julia have some sort of friendship, social media friendship with one another. They're very sarcastic. Yara was really holding or trying to hold Julia accountable for inconsistencies in terms of with, you know, what's happening on that farm. That's really it. I mean... <sighs> they I mean Shauna at one point asks them what was the most difficult part of uh being parents and Jovi says you know just the journey to get there thank god Jovi was sober because when he's sober he has he's better (laughs) he's just a better person he seems to be more sensitive he seems to or maybe this is just like time and he is well rehearsed and he's just convincing me whatever this was the best showing of Jovi that we've seen and that's what I will give him Jovi's being very understanding towards the things that Yara had to go through her being alone her being hormonal with the baby understanding that you know she didn't want to live with my parents not that they're bad people but she didn't want to live with them and i i totally get how stressful that whole situation was for her and how alone that she felt um yara you know she got a little bit emotional talking about having to leave everything and not even having her friends you know to talk to or not do anything with and um you know how her mom missed out on all of these moments how she wasn't able to go to the wedding how she hasn't been able to see the baby she's just seen the baby over facetime on occasion but they had applied for a visa for her mom to come 
and they're hoping that it'll get accepted in the next couple of months. Then they play the clip from Jovi's bachelor party where his friend gets him a stripper and takes her up to the champagne room. Yara had not seen that clip before. They don't, it seemed like that really took her by surprise. I don't know if she hadn't seen it because she had been actively avoiding it or it's because they film before the season ends and she just literally didn't know. And Jovi had not told her. Um, Everybody, you know, Sean starts getting messy. I have to, okay. So I guess I have to give Sean her flowers because I have been saying over the past few seasons, for those of you guys who watch Married at First Sight, the guy, Kevin, he hosts the reunions. His hosting is like my kind of carrying on. He clearly watches the show. He's clearly a fan of the show. He's clearly invested in their storylines and he gets messy and he asks the questions that the viewers want to know the answers to. Where is Sean? And I know that these are like two different networks. Sean is a professional and it doesn't seem like she's super invested. It, I get more from her that she watches like a clips package of everybody just to familiarize herself with their storylines. It just doesn't seem like she's that invested and in the past and therefore it makes for a really boring tell all this season she's asking a little bit more of the questions and also like I know she's not responsible for asking the questions but it just I there's not a whole lot of passion there and a whole lot of knowledge there um like if you guys watch Bravo reunions you can tell which shows Andy actually watches versus the ones he's just like okay just like give me the highlights and I'll ask the questions here. Um, so I appreciate the fact that they're going there a little bit more and they're asking better questions, questions that the fans really want to know. And also another thing with the way she hosts is that she doesn't often hold people accountable or she'll change a subject really quickly. And I felt like she was really asking the real questions. So shout out to you, John Robinson. Um, so Sean asks, like, what exactly does happen when you are taken into a private room for a private laugh dance? And Jovi says, all she did was take her top off. Like, yeah, there was a little bit of grinding, but it really was nothing. You know, Julia has a lot of opinions on it. She's like, I think that's perfectly fine. They're doing their job. Being a stripper is hard work. It's difficult. I don't care about this, but if Brandon went to the champagne room, I'd be pissed. But y'all do you. Like, I totally support you, Jovi. But Brandon, it's not happening with you. First of all, I feel like if I were a stripper and I saw Brandon and they wanted to take me to a private room, I would just say like, you know what? I don't really need the money that badly, you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't need it. No, thank you. Pass. Yara's a real bitch, you know? Not... In a bad way. Like, I use bitch for basically anything. When I say she's a real bitch, I mean, like, I fuck with her heavy. She is, she keeps it real. She's like, I feel like it's disrespectful for him to have done that. I'm his wife. I don't like it. But what am I going to do? <laughs> because if I yell at him, I'm just going to be a psycho. So, like, I'm just going to sit here and look stupid, I guess. Thank you, Jovi. <laughs> As a girl who was raised in the south specifically atlanta which is like the strip club capital of the world you know i have a much 
more uh, perhaps open-minded view of strip clubs I think it's great let's go together you know but if she doesn't like it and that's like not something that she wants out of her husband she's entitled to feel that way she's perfectly entitled to feel that way um Gwen Jovi's mom comes on screen and she's like you know I just don't feel like that shit was necessary Jovi's been at a bachelor party for the last decade of his life I don't really think he needed to be doing this any more than he already does. Thank you. Um, then we get this clip from 90 Day Bears All, which is a Discovery Plus, I guess, 90 Day Fiance after show in which they gave Jovi a polygraph test. <laughs> they gave Jovi a polygraph test over these, what happened in the champagne room. Um, the first question was, have you ever slept with a stripper before? Jovi, we know the answer to that is yes. Why did you lie and say no? Why why would you lie? <laughs> Not a person on this planet who's seen you and your storyline would have ever thought differently. Of course you've slept with a stripper. You basically said that you are made a habit of like paying all their bills, all these strippers bills for years. So who cares? She's just a woman. It's okay. There's no shame in that. Now let's move on to Rebecca and Zied. Rebecca says that the main challenge that she has with Zied is that they need to work on more communication. Duh. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is a nice thing. <laughs> then Rebecca says, you know, of all the comments that I get, people... The thing that really strikes me the most is that when people call me an old hag. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Um, Julia in a confessional says, you know, I think Zied's only here for a green card. I don't really see that there is a whole lot of love between them. Um, I don't really think Zied is capable of being that underhanded and that much of a scammer. Um, I don't really know why she thinks that. I just don't think, I, I don't think Zied would do that. I don't see that. But if you guys feel differently, let me know. If you have any theories, I'm always willing to listen to something dramatic. Okay. Um, Rebecca says, you know, she looks a little different. Sean compliments her on her changes. Um, she got her lips done, lip injections, Botox, a mini tummy tuck, lipo. She says she's a little swollen, but she has uh, dropped two dress sizes. And, you know, once the swelling goes down, she should see a lot more of a difference. She looked great. She looked great before. I think Rebecca is a very, she's like cute to me. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, cute gets you probably furthest in terms of aging. Like when you're just having like a cute face and you got like big cheeks, like you look younger and I think she looks really good. I think Rebecca's genuinely a beautiful woman. Um, then Julia gets all up in arms about elective surgery and Julia and Yara end up going back and forth because Yara is like, you know, I used to get my lips done. I don't do them anymore, but I have gotten a nose job because my old nose looked like a potato you should feel beautiful, blah, blah, blah. But if there, if you look in the mirror and that's something that you genuinely want to change, then you should have the freedom to do that. Apparently Julia is very anti-cosmetic surgery. 
something about if your man loves you, then you should just accept that. Okay, girl, whatever. Um, then Sean turns to Ziad and asks, did you want Rebecca to look younger? And Ziad says, yes. He says, yes, and she's more sexy now. Ooh. So then Rebecca turns to Ziad and says, were you happy with me before? And he's like, of course, I, if I wasn't happy, why would I stay with you? And then they talk about <laughs> that moment where they take Ziad out to eat with Tiffany and her boyfriend and her friend, Tiffany's friend who offered to help Ziad move in. And Rebecca is still feeling some type of way. So then they have Tiffany, her daughter, and her daughter's boyfriend come on Skype. And they get into it. Not really, but it was also, it was like a... Rebecca played herself. She really did. She made herself look really bad. <laughs> Tiffany, who has been riding for her mom this whole time, was like, Mom, my friend was not trying to hit on Zied. She would not try to do that. She was not interested what you interpreted from that exchange was she was trying to just be hospitable and you took it as she was hitting on you. Rebecca is insistent that this woman was basically two seconds from, you know, crawling under that table and giving Ziad the business. No, I don't think anybody thought that that woman was trying to hit on Ziad. Not a chance. Rebecca is claiming that she tried to, quote, interject herself in the conversation for 30 minutes and you didn't see the way she was looking at Ziad and you didn't see the way she was acting. No, you guys were at dinner. If you wanted to have a private conversation, then you should have just gone on a date with Ziad. It wasn't interjecting into your conversation. It was people having a group dinner with one another. And she was being polite. What? <laughs> so Rebecca, Sean asked Rebecca, um, if that chick was an older woman, would that have made a difference? And Rebecca's like, yeah, actually, I would have been even more pissed off because she would have been older and known better and known not to do that. Ziad says he had no idea. He didn't, he has no opinion. Well, he said he had no opinion on whether or not that chick was hitting on him. I think he was did not feel that she was, but didn't want to like ruffle any feathers and just was like, I don't know. I, I really don't know. He's like, honestly, when she offered, I thought she meant like her dad. Cause she said, Oh, my family has a bunch of trucks so we can help you. So he's like, I thought that she meant like somebody else in the family was going to help. I didn't really think that. And then he gets into like some slut shaming shit, which I am not really going to blame him for because clearly this is coming from Rebecca. This idea that, like, this was some hussy <laughs> who came to the Buffalo Wild Wings to take your man. And this is how American women are. Because she has said that on the show. American women will try to take your man. And it's like, girl, who hurt you? Who hurt you? Because this sounds very personal. It, she wasn't trying to get with him. Please. And then Rebecca was like, well, why did she apologize after? Well, she apologized because well, Tiffany was like, well... Because she realized that you were offended, so she was doing the right thing and trying to make it right and trying to be clear that, like, oh, if I, if you felt some type of way about me offering and you felt like I was 
doing whatever, then I'm sorry. Not my intention. I mean, it was, it got really weird and it got even more weird when Sean was like, I heard you guys got into an argument and Ziad had to sleep on the couch the night before your wedding. This was so fucking weird. Rebecca is really insecure and she needs to get that in line. She really does because it is really unattractive, truthfully unattractive. And I think that the more, the less of a language barrier that Rebecca and Ziad have, the more he's going to realize that like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. So what had happened was <laughs> Zia tries to tell the story. He's like, I, it's something about scary movies. He's, you know, we all know where they got married in the, in a cabin or not in a cabin, like on a campground, wooded area. They were staying in a cabin. So he's like, Oh, I, I just made a little joke about it looking like a scary movie. Something that, I think 99% of the population would not find offensive personally. (laughs) Like why she took this personally, I don't know. So apparently he makes a comment about it looking like a scary movie outside. And then Rebecca got upset because she asked him to go to the hot tub. He didn't really respond So then she took it upon herself to get in the hot tub naked and he did not join her. (laughs) So what I'm thinking happened, because there seemed like a lot of holes in that story. Zia made a one-off whatever the hell comment. Rebecca took it personally, probably because in her mind it twisted into, you don't like the venue, you think this is scary, blah, blah, blah. And then she tried to be sexy in that moment. And he was probably like, you just fought with me over me saying this shit looks scary. (laughs) I'm not trying to like smash right now. That's what I think happened. It was weird. And let's move on to Mike and Natalie. So of course we knew these, this couple was not going to be happy. They showed up separately from one, one another. And when Natalie finally shows up, she says, you know, in a perfect world, I would show up with him and like, I, you know, I just can't pretend like everything's fine when it's not. Okay. When they sit down in the green room, obviously Mike gets there first and Natalie shows up. There are like individual chairs in this green room and also like, uh, love seats, like couches. So they sit in the individual chairs right next to each other, but you can tell like the tension is thick, right? Extremely thick. So Julia's like, um, do you guys like know each other? (laughs) Like what's happening here? Why did you guys come separately? Natalie looks at Mike and she says, I don't know. Why did we come separately? And Mike's like, doesn't really answer. So then Natalie walks out. And so what we are seeing is just like a lot of them not wanting to answer the questions, deep sighs after the questions are asked, longing glances, looking at each other, looking at nothing. Mike and Natalie both. They're so annoying. Why did you come here if you guys didn't want to really talk about it? There was also some like weird thing, weird vibe going on between Rebecca and Natalie and Rebecca says something in Russian, or excuse me, Natalie says something in Russian about how Rebecca's aggressive. I don't, it seems like something on the internet happened between them. Don't care. (laughs) 
could not care. And I don't think America cares either. Um, so when they get on stage, Sean says, you know, I'm a little shocked that you guys are still together. Given the last time we did a tell all, there was that a whole, that drama between, um, Mike and, uh, his friend, his lady friend that he spent the night with the night of her wedding and, or the night before her wedding and how the groom was supposed to stay there, but he didn't. And then Natalie found him on FaceTime and he was shirtless and stoned or whatever. I don't know. But so she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that you guys decided to get married. And then she asks Natalie, like out of, you know, from one to 10, how are things going between you and Mike? And Natalie says a six, but it took her about 30 seconds to answer that. Cause there's, like I said, a lot of hemming and hawing and staring. Six seems generous. Mike says a seven. You guys can't even sit next to each other or speak to each other. And it's a seven. seven to me was for yeah every inch of mike okay it's probably between a six and a seven and that's what they're working on if you guys are picking up what i'm putting down um sean asks what's preventing it from being a 10 and natalie says well you know we both need to work on things and she says she's not wearing she sean noticed that natalie was not wearing her ring natalie says it's because she was afraid she didn't want to get to get stolen off your finger right off your hand <laughs> you think that in the flight from seattle to to la that some pickpocket's gonna come and take your zales ring your david your what no no so julia tries to help her out it's like oh you know i take off my ring sometimes like if i'm washing or you know whatever and then sean is like okay but would you not wear your ring on a flight because you were afraid of it being stolen she was like well no <laughs> that's bullshit that that's bullshit um so then sean i i don't know she sean asked why they showed up separately natalie doesn't want to answer again why are you here if you don't want to talk about anything um so then she turns to Mike and it says, you called off the wedding the day before. And then she whispers, why? Why did you do it? <laughs> Drama, girl. Mike says that the night before the wedding, he felt scared. So he went down by the river <laughs> and sat there for five or six hours. And he said he felt lost. Like, he's fucking Tom Sawyer. Okay. Um, then he says, you know, like, I just wasn't ready to get married. And I just wasn't ready to get married that day. And Tariq says, that's cold, bro. <laughs> it is cold, bro. You're right. So then we get like a part two from the first tell-all. And it seems like history repeated itself or something like that. So Mike reveals that Natalie thought that he cheated on her the night before the wedding. Natalie says, Mike left the house for hours Nobody knew where he was. He wasn't answering his phone. Uncle Bo didn't know where he was. He was out looking for him. Tamar down the holler didn't know where he was. No, no clue. Mike says, you know, I was in the forest and, you know, I was just in the middle of nowhere. I didn't have any, um, you know, cell service. He's acting like this is like a perfectly normal thing to just go missing for hours, 
incommunicado the day before you're supposed to get married. <laughs> okay, Michael. Um, she thought he was cheating. Then we get Mike's mom. What's her name? Shirley? She has Shirley energy. I don't think that was her name. Mike's mom and Tamara. Sue? She's got Sue energy too. I don't know. This was like a battle of the bad bangs between Tamara and Mike's mom. That's all I'm going to say about that. So they go on video chat and there's like a back and forth between Natalie and Tamara because Natalie says that when she was trying to figure out where Mike was, Tamara had maybe mentioned that he was on a bachelor party or like, you know, doing a bachelor party things. But Tamara's like, I definitely didn't say that because frankly, Mike doesn't have any friends. So I don't know who he would have gone on a bachelor party with. We know Bo wasn't there because he was out looking for him. So she's like, maybe I said that, but I just feel like Mike's a flop and I just don't know who he would have been hanging out with. Trish. Her name is Trish. And if Sue and Shirley, yeah, she's got major Trish energy. We'll, We'll say that. So... Then we get to Mike's mom and then she says, you know, I think Mike called off the wedding because Natalie was just too invested in trying to change him and tell him what to do. And, you know, she's so jealous, blah, blah, blah. Everything is her fault. Everything's Natalie's fault. So then Trish (laughs) says, you know, Mike called me and told me that he was going to call off the wedding and give Natalie money for a flight home, you know, just make sure that she was taken care of. But he called me and told me that. She says he had said that like a few days before the wedding day. (laughs) Then they must have some sort of fucked up relationship because Mike is like, I I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Imagine calling your mom a liar. (laughs) She's like, no, you did do that. He's really trying to get out of it. And it's like, boy, I've been telling you guys. I told y'all, y'all, I'll see the truth about Michael. He is lying on his own mama. How dreadful. How dreadful. Obviously, this was not information that Natalie had, and clearly she's very upset about. Understandably upset. She's crying. Then Sean is like, roll that beautiful bean footage because we have some never-before-seen clips. And then we see Tamara say that Mike's mom called her the day of the wedding and told her to do like when the officiant says, is there anybody who objects to this union? Mike's mom tried to get Tamara to say to object. (laughs) Evil, evil in evil begets evil. The apple, the evil rotten apple does not far fall far from the tree. Dog. (laughs) Tamara was like, there was no hesitation. I told her, no, I was not going to do that. I've seen these couple, this couple. I see that they have the passion. I see that there's love there. There was not anything in my body that was going to do what Trish was telling me to do. Ooh, Trish with the chopper. Ooh. Okay. So Sean asked like, Trish, is that true? She's like, yeah, I did it and I'll do it again. <laughs> so then Sean is like, well, Mike, how do you feel about that? And he's like, you know, that's my mom and you know she's the one who raised me but you know I like I have mixed feelings about that and you know, like I'm pretty upset and it wasn't right to ask somebody to do that like okay w- what are the mixed feelings because their only feeling that you should have is that that sucks 
this information is all very upsetting to Rebecca as a mother. (laughs) She was like, I have three grown children. I would never get involved in my children's relationships that way. Like Trish, you were so wrong for that. Blah, blah, blah. Something about that was very triggering to her. Maybe because Zied's sister is very involved and did not approve of their union. I don't know, but it seemed to highly upset her. You might need to talk to somebody about that, Rebecca, among other things. Let's move on to Andrew and Amira. So Andrew also shows up alone and he says, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to find a healthy way through this situation. Like he's really trying to therapize us. And, you know, he's saying that he's hoping that he gets answers and that he questions why everything happened the way it did And that he would love answers as to why Amira chose to do the things that she chose to do. Uh, The nerve. The nerve of this man to show up in a, like, a full silk press, a crinkly little button-down shirt, and a vest over it. Like, he's auditioning for, like, Pippin or some sort of Lifetime movie about a librarian who stalks women i mean the man is unwell the man is truly unwell yara and julia think that he's a full-on creep (laughs) julia says i think if he could fuck himself he would thank you julia that was the one opinion that was necessary andrew is like you know uh, you know, this has really been a process of healing and, you know, I've not spoken to Amira. So then we don't really see anything until the very end of the episode where Amira gets on Skype and in her like pre-interview, she says, you know, like I only agreed to speak if I didn't have to see or speak to Andrew. So production comes on stage and they're trying to explain like, Hey, these are Amira's wishes. So like, if you could just come with us off stage so we can interview Amira, please. He gets a little upset and he's like, no, this isn't fair. Like, you know, everybody else gets to talk to one another and, you know, hash things out and they have to do, I I gotta say, like, I kind of didn't disagree with him. (laughs) I, I mean, personally, I would like to see them both speak to each other and, Uh, This was like the one time where I'm like, Amira, I don't know. Like, I get it if she feels like he's emotionally abusive and she does not want to do this. I get that. My first question is, did they tell Andrew this prior to him coming on stage? Did they tell him this prior to the taping? Because it seems like something that they should have told him. And I do think it would be fair to see them both talk about it. That was the one time where I'm like, Amira, I don't know. Like, I get where you're coming from, but I also just feel like they, he's right. Like, it's unfair that he has to get off the stage and and talk. He's like, I'll just not say anything. Like, don't show her footage of me on stage. He had a whole hissy fit. He is like, well, I'm leaving. Excuse me. I'm leaving. Can the sound guy come? And this is what I hate the shit. Like, Sir, you've been on television for five minutes. You don't need to be like, oh, I, I need my sound guy to come take my mic off me. Like, uh, shut up. Uh, shut up, okay? Um, He takes his little backpack and his suit jacket and pumps it. <laughs> he that, that was basically it. That was the end of the episode. Thank God. Whew. Okay, let's start talking about 
sister wives. So Cody starts by saying that he and Mary's 30th anniversary was a little bit rocky. <laughs> To put it lightly, Cody, and they had a quasi breakup five years ago, and they really haven't lived together or gotten things back together since. Yeah, uh, thank you. Newsflash for everybody. Um, Mary says that Cody keeps making references on how, like, he doesn't know how he feels about plural marriage anymore, and Cody says that you know, it's been a reckoning for him, and. All the experience and all the feedback that he's getting from his wives make him feel some type of way and that he's a little bit concerned for the future. So then all the wives and Cody do a video chat. Cody's at Janelle's house at this point. And Janelle says, you know, basically she's freaking out. The lockdown's not great for her mental health. She wants to get out and she wants to figure out if everybody's going to be involved in Hunter's graduation and says that, you know, psychologically, I'm about to lose it right and that my kids are at that point too how houseway goof and goofus and gallant are out there living their best lives what are they going crazy they're not denying themselves a thing <laughs> um janelle says you know that she thinks her opinion about getting back together is radical and that some people <clears throat> robin and mary would really rather be separate basically christine and janelle are like, COVID be damned. They want the family to all hang out with each other. But Robin is on the fence because she's trying to follow the CDC guidelines. Mary, <laughs> I, I feel like nobody's really asked Mary what she thinks. And maybe because it doesn't really matter because she's been socially distancing from this family for years now. This is light work for her. She's busy with Mosby. They're having their little moment of friendship. Um, she doesn't really care. Honestly, Cody is totally against gathering together and says, I think at this point, teleconferencing is the best way for us to communicate right now. Christine says point blank. I think it's ridiculous that we're not getting back together. Mm. Christine. Okay. So a lot of people who talk about sister wives, you know, we're trying to figure out what it is, where these people lie politically because apparently COVID is now a political thing, right? So we, my stance on Christine, I've always been waffling on Christine because she goes back and forth. Although she really feels like she does not want to be denied the experience of like hanging out with her children. And by her children, I mean, Janelle's kids, um, that she raised. I, uh, but you know, if I have an official answer now, Robin, CNN, MSNBC, clearly. Janelle, obviously Fox News. Uh, Mary, you know, whatever's in the LuLaRoe newspaper for that week. And Christine, I think, doesn't read anything at all. Christine just seems like she does not want to be involved with anything. Like a head in the sand kind of lady. That's dangerous, but okay girl so cody says he had a conversation with their family doctor and that she told them that the icu was full of covid cases and that it was not a good idea for them to be gathering in large groups <laughs> but janelle says based on what i'm reading i disagree with the doctor and then if that weren't enough she says uh she says legitimately she says it's in a con confessional i think our family doctor is giving her perspective and we're taking it as gospel truth. 
yeah, that's why she's a fucking doctor, Janelle, and why you're not. That's how it works. She is a professional. You should be taking it as gospel truth. <laughs> Who? Ma'am. <laughs> I will be damned. She's acting like this is just... She's like, well, based on what I read, I'm like, why are you taking what you read as gospel truth? But the actual doctor who was in the trenches, seeing people die of COVID is not enough for you. Let's just take it with a grain of salt. Okay, Janelle. You know, Janelle has been consistently my favorite wife, but this shit is pissing me off. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, Janelle says, you know, I've been doing what everything, everything that the CDC says in terms of like washing my hands and wearing a mask and having on hand sanitizer on me. But I just feel like Cody's taking it to a whole other level. Christine says flat out, I'm not willing to not see the kids. If Maddie comes over with the kids, with her kids, I want to see them. You know, I just want to have access to my children. Okay. So then Janelle wants to form some sort of like alliance with Christine, like it's big brother or something. And Christine tells Cody, you know, my kids are at a point (laughs) where they would rather hang out at Christine's house with her kids than see you. Like if they had to choose, they're going with Truly and Gwendolyn and and Wisebel. Okay. Okay. Um, Christine is so pleased that Janelle said that. She's like, I'm so it's such a great compliment that Janelle's kids would say that about me, but I do feel kind of bad that they feel that way about Cody. I'm like, do you? Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> Honestly, COVID or not, I would feel the same way. I mean, you guys know how I feel about Truly. I think she is a Truly. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Okay. I, I heard it. Didn't. <sighs> no pun intended. She's a truly insufferable child to me. She's just, I don't care for children. Okay. That's my truth. And I'm sure Truly is a lovely child, but seeing her on television a couple months out of the year is more than enough for your girl. Moving on. So here comes Cody with the chopper. He's sitting in an interview and says, I think Janelle is full of shit. And here's why she's full of shit. (laughs) Love it. He said the kids aren't seeing each other all the time anyway. It's not like I'm depriving the children of like this great difference, this vast difference in in them hanging out with each other. It's like she just doesn't want me coming down on her kids for their lack of observation of the COVID protocols. Bingo. I hate that Janelle is making me side with Cody. I hate that he has been the consistently most reasonable one, but we all know why that is because his wife, Robin, is the one telling him all this stuff. Um, so they decide to have a picnic on Coyote Pass, just the adults, socially distanced, and this is going to be their test run. Um, so then Gwendolyn, Christine's daughter, went out with Truly and Wisebel, and they just went to Coyote Pass to have a picnic. Really, there's nothing to talk about. She ends up getting her car stuck in the mud and they have to get her out. It was... What was chilling for me is seeing Cody laughing, just seeing a montage of him, like clip after clip after clip of him, like walking around her car and laughing at her getting stuck in the mud. I don't know why it was so deeply upsetting to me, but it was. So, you know, warning, if you want to go back and watch it, just, it just gives me chills up my spine just thinking about it. It was very unsettling. 
Next, we have Janelle. She invites Robin over to have a talk, outside, of course, and socially distanced. Janelle says that she's realizing, you know, she has a tendency to get excited about things and things that she wants, but she realizes that she might get, that that might come off as a little bit aggressive to other people, and they might feel like they're not being heard. So she says, you know, like, I just need to be more willing to listen. And Robin says... You know, I feel like that's probably just a result of being in a plural marriage and having the wives feel like they need to fight for their position in the family. And then Robin says, you know, basically we have these horrible conversations. Every time we come out of it, I have a stomach ache. And I just feel like COVID has really magnified how badly we communicate and that there are a lot of in her words, unsafe conversations that happen in the family. And she feels like they're not really talking to to each other so much as at each other. I would like her to stop speaking in code. Like, mention it all, girlfriend. Why do you feel so unsafe? Who is making you feel that way? Because it's just very interesting. And then she says something even more telling. She starts talking about how you know, a little bit of backstory into her previous marriage. And it seems like they used to fight a lot. And so she says, you know, I kind of made a promise to myself that if I were to ever be in another marriage, that we would have better communication. And she says in the last 10 or 11 years that she could count on one hand the amount of times that she's fought with Cody. Now, my question would be, is it because you guys communicate well or is it because you're just choosing not to fight because you fought so much in your first marriage? Like it seems like she's swinging from one extreme to the other. And maybe that's why you're having these nausea attacks and these, all this anxiety and you feel unsafe because you're out just here in a whirling dervish of, you know, curly hair that needs to be shaved and perms and, you know, Mary's aggressive eyebrows and you just don't know which way is up and then you're just keeping quiet for the sake of keeping the peace when you're really not saying how you really feel about things that's how I think that's what I think is really happening um Janelle and Robin both agree that there needs to be a drastic change in the way they communicate with each other and Janelle says I think next time we all get together we need to lay down the ground rules for how we speak to each other Then Janelle says in an interview, like, we need to start making decisions all together because otherwise we're just going to be a bunch of monogamists who share a husband. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So last week we see Cody go back to Janelle's house after five weeks of quarantining. And now it's time for him to celebrate Christine's birthday. So they're taking a drive to Sedona and Christine's really excited because she's like, you know, the first time we went there, we basically had to do family therapy with this bitch named Nancy. And, you know, we all had to group hug and touch foreheads and like feel each other's hot breath and like tightly, highly processed uh, hair. And thank God this is not going to be a part two. Nancy will not be joining us. And I do not have to link arms with Robin and Christine again, or Janelle. Um, so on the drive, Christine asks Cody, do you think I'm going too far? Like with my stance on not wanting to really social distance and Cody basically is like, facts don't care about your feelings. Science doesn't care about your emotions. And he says in an interview, like, I kind of feel like a lifeguard who's constantly having to kick kids out of the pool because they can't behave. Fair. And I hate that I have, oh, it just kills, it kills a little part of my spirit to say that Cody's right. He's absolutely right. So Sedona is beautiful. And we all know that. But the point of me mentioning that is it's such a vast difference between these like incredible views mountains everywhere they're going out there in the sunset and they're sitting on this rock at the top of a hill and you could just see gorgeous absolutely gorgeous now let's think about mary's birthday in which she basically was on the highway to hell for two hours having to convince this man that a she is still invested in this relationship and that they have a shot in hell at getting together. And then they have to sit there and eat cold corn on a piece of grass where the only view that we can see is a gas station about a half a mile away. Yeah, let's all think about that. <laughs> so, um... Then we see Christine and Cody cuddling on the rock together and they're enjoying the sunset. But Christine says in an interview that their relationship has basically been strained for the past couple of years, ever since Cody brought up the one house plan. And we finally get Christine explaining further why she feels the way she's feeling, why she's been telling Robin she feels like people hate her, why she feels like she doesn't really want to be a part of the family because she just feels so alone and that she just doesn't want to hang out with people. So Christine says, I was very explicit about not living in the house together. I told Cody that I've been telling him that for years. And then I'm sitting here at Christmas watching these plans for this one gigantic house. And I just feel like I'm not heard. And I feel like he didn't even care about how that made me feel. And now I feel like I'm on the last, the bottom of the list of his important people. Fair. I I really understood when she was saying like, yeah, I, 
she has so much emotion tied up into that Lehigh house and how she felt like the basement wife and how she felt so isolated and she felt like she had to like curb herself for the sake of everybody else and she wasn't heard and then they get to Las Vegas and things are better (laughs) big question mark after that one (laughs) but yeah it just I I understood what she was saying. Like, I've been advocating and advocating. I've told this man, this is not what I want. And that that's tied up into like my emotional well-being. And then, <laughs> you know, it's like he completely bowled over her. So then Cody says something very interesting, which is that instead of rejecting what Christine was saying, he decided to really listen to her novel idea (laughs) he's like you know after 25 plus years i have decided to listen to my wife but on the other hand that's opened up cans of can of worms in terms of plural marriage and now he's feeling a little bit cynical about this so then cody says in their religion it's basically like marriage is something that you have to endure And this is something that I've always thought about because over the seasons, Janelle has hinted at like, we enter into this covenant or whatever to be stronger. Like it's almost like we're intentionally, the way she makes it sound is almost like throwing yourself into a hole And then having to dig your way out of it. And then once you've dug your way out of it, you can say, hey, Jesus, I did it. And to me, that makes no damn sense. (laughs) Because why would you put yourself in a bad situation or a difficult situation for your lifetime, your entire adult life, just to say, like, hey, God, I intentionally um, set myself on fire. But here, look, I, I... managed to find a lake to jump into it's weird to me (laughs) like why are we setting us up it doesn't make any sense like and I'm not LDS but I did grow up you know in a Christian church and with a Christian background It, it it's just very interesting to me like my thing is that like God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle but you're putting yourself in this situation and it's like you're proving to God that you can get overcome things. It it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, because to me, it's like you find you situations happen to you and you use God to help yourself. He's your teacher. He's your guide. I don't know. I don't know. So (laughs) then, you know, he says, you know, looking back on the nearly 30 years of marriage and that point really stuck out to me because why is he saying it's been nearly 30 years when last week you just celebrated 30 years? <laughs> he is so sick of her, of Mary. <laughs> nearly 30 years because he's counting from Janelle on, right? <laughs> Not Mary. That doesn't count. So Janelle on, we're at almost 30 years. So he says, you know, in the nearly 30 years that I've been married... It's been a sort of like endure to the end experience. And then he says, like what I said, 
it's basically like looking forward to your death so you, that you can meet your creator and say, look at all the things that I endured. And Christine says, Cody always talks about like the big picture. And she says, I, you know, I think if I am in Cody's picture at all, I'm a very small spot, real small part of it. So then Cody says in an interview that it seems more and more like plural marriage, plural marriage is not something that Christine enjoys. And it's starting to get to the point where he doesn't enjoy it either. Christine says most of her issue is that she just doesn't feel very important to Cody. And I feel like this is not something, this is not the first time that this issue has come up because they've had seasons where Cody and Christine's relationship were strained and it just seemed like a lack of attention. So even though he says that he's listening to her and he's trying to hear what she's saying, it seems like all he hears is that she's unhappy with plural marriage, but she's very clearly saying, I don't feel like he likes me <laughs> and I don't feel enough. But all he hears is just like her complaining, but that's not it. So you're not listening. Anyway, then we see Robin and Cody have a conversation and, uh, yee. <laughs> I'm going to issue a disclaimer right now because I don't want to feel, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm being insensitive to anybody's religious uh, background, you know? Um, but the things that were said are things that I had not heard. <laughs> and I, I just have to be honest with you. I, I thought it was strange. I just thought it was strange. <laughs> Okay, so that's my disclaimer. No disrespect, but my podcast, my opinion. Um, so they start talking about, you know, <sighs> Cody introduces a scene as like, Robin's really good at kind of navigating the different relationship dynamics to me, but I'm not really sure why she wants to talk to me today. So Robin drops the bomb that basically she's on the fence about wanting to have another child and she asks Cody, like, where he is on that. So Robin is basically like, listen, I'm 41. Cody's in his 50s. I'm on the fence. So I'm asking him how he feels that so we can move forward one way or the other. So then Cody says this weird shit about how... <laughs> He says, you know, I've always been fathering and he says, I've been having what he calls special experiences with little people because they're sweet. Let me repeat that. I've always been fathering and having special experiences with little people because they're sweet. I'm sorry. That sounds like you need to be put on a list <laughs> and that you don't need to be within a certain a foot range for uh, playgrounds or elementary schools. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Special experience with little people because there's... That sounds really fucking weird. <laughs> of all the ways to say, I enjoy being a father, that was like the last one to say. <laughs> Then in an interview, Cody says, you know, Logan was born in 2000, 1994. So I'm pretty sure that I've been having kids for like 26 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for doing math, Cody. So then Cody says, 
you know, basically his hesitancy is because of Ari. <laughs> this was so wild. So apparently Ari's just running around the house, being a Dennis the Menace. Robin says, oh, well, she's not so bad since we, since I weaned her off from breastfeeding last year. And Cody's like, no, she's just as bad. And basically, she's just staying up like the Babadook, causing terror everywhere she goes, up in the middle of the night, like, I don't give a damn. The nighttime appears to be the right time for her to do basically these, like, Olympic trials of jumping off the couch and just being a Tasmanian devil in general. And as a result, Cody is basically an empty bloodshot shell of a man because he's not getting any damn sleep. And you know why he's not getting any sleep? Because he sleeps at Robin's house every night. Apparently, doesn't really seem like an option for him to sleep anywhere else. I'm sitting here picturing Ari like Tamisha from the Bad Girls Club banging on some baking sheets like, I didn't get no sleep because of y'all. Y'all not going to get no sleep because of me. And that's really made my day. (laughs) But it seems like sleep training. Hello? Um, obedience. This seems like a very easy thing to fix. Why don't you just train her to go to sleep at night? And it's going to be a process, but baby, she's four. Party's over, girl. So then Cody says, talking to Ari is like speaking to somebody. Now, she's four. Is like speaking to somebody who has the words of a 10-year-old, but the logic of an idiot. (laughs) Ooh, that man has really got away with words so then we get into some very interesting conversations because robin starts by saying you know most women know when they're done having children but i haven't really had that feeling yet fair okay and then she says you know whenever people ask me how many kids i'm gonna have i just say as many as i'm able to of course she starts crying at this point and she starts talking about how she needs to make sure I need to make sure that all my babies are here on earth with me. Pardon? Wait. Sorry. Robin says in her head, and maybe this isn't a religious part because she says in my head, I made promises to be a mother to a certain amount of children and that I need to fulfill those promises. Cody says, I want to have a life with you, Robin, that isn't just about our kids. So how do you feel about that? And Robin says, I feel relieved and sad at the same time. And then Cody says, I feel like I'm kind of walking on eggshells here because I don't want Robin to feel like we can't have a child if she had a premonition. Oh, okay. Um... Oh, okay. Um, so then Robin tells Cody that I've just had someone or something hanging around. And then she says, you know, like my beliefs are that people exist in a spiritual form before they come to the earth. And she believes that she has had interactions with some of her children when they were spirits. And she saw in her mind, a little dark haired boy. Now let's just go back to Ari keeping them up at night. Is it possible that these are just the delusions of a woman who's not getting any sleep. Like maybe she's just seeing things in in her mind and in her mind's eye. I, I would just, 
encourage her, like, take a weekend for yourself. Get, get like, the longest nap. But get your rest and see if that child, that little dark-haired boy, is still showing up in your dreams after that. I just, like, I'm concerned that she's not really getting, like, a full REM cycle of, of sleep. And this is what we're getting from that. Could be wrong. I'm just going to put that on the table as an option. As an option. Okay? Um... So then Robin says, you know, I have this crazy fear in my head that I'll leave someone behind. Now, this is a question that I want to know. If they're like spirits, are they in heaven? Because then wouldn't it be better that that baby just be floating around in heaven chilling? Like, I gotta come back to earth and be Cody's kid? I don't have a house? Why don't you holler at me when you guys build build some walls up at Coyote Pass, and maybe I'll come down after that. We'll, we'll re- <laughs> make sure that I'm getting a room in this house by the trees, by the pond. I don't give a shit. I don't want to move. If this were me, I'd be like, I'm chilling up here until you guys get your shit together, and then maybe I'll consider coming down after that. So you guys got to figure it out. Break 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 some ground at Coyote Pass, and we'll you know. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Cody says, I feel like we kind of just made a decision about not having kids. And then she blew me out of the water with this vision of a dark haired boy. (laughs) Me too, Cody. (laughs) Me too. Cody starts getting into some like genetic shit. And he's talking about like how he doesn't really breed um, dark haired children. He's really more of a, you know, the blonde really comes out in his children. So he doesn't see them having a dark-haired child, so maybe they would have to adopt. All right. So the day has come. Wreck-It Ralph, and by that I mean Hunter, has finally come home. And they're acting like he is a golden child. He's the life of the party. He really brings the fun to the, the Janelle house. Okay. Anyway, next. Janelle comes over to Christine's house to talk, which is basically the same thing that Janelle said to Robin She's stubborn. She gets excited. She can't let something go. Dog with a bone. Dog with a bone. This makes even more sense as to why Cody and Janelle get along so much because it seems like they're both the same people in that like they won't let go of something when they want it and they basically bulldoze over people who don't want what they want. The difference, of course, is that Janelle is now seeing that it might be you know, her imprinting her opinion on everybody might be impacting the whole family. And I would just, you know, Cody, can you hear me? Maybe you would consider doing the same. Janelle tells Christine, I know, and I recognize that we were on completely different ends of the spectrum when it came to the big house idea. I was all in, you were all out, but I want you to know that I have no hard feelings about that. And I just want to clear the air. Christine's like, I hear you and I understand it, but Back when we were in Utah, it just felt like what I wanted to do as Christine was not as important as what you, Janelle, and Cody wanted to do. And then Christine says, you know, if I could turn back time, I just wish that I had taken care, better care of myself and my kids. And I wish I had stood up for myself more. So this stuff goes back to the first house which we knew but I don't think she ever mentioned Janelle in all of that and her role I don't really think she got specific about Mary either but it seems like 
Janelle was playing the HBIC over in Le- Lehigh. And that's interesting. And so Christine's like, I just don't, I anticipate being back in that place emotionally if we were all going to be in that one house again and I just don't want to do it. And then Christine says, you know, when we all get together, it's really hard for me to feel like I matter and I get nauseous and nervous and anxious. And Christine says, I just don't feel like we're at the point where we can be completely honest. And it's unrealistic of Janelle to think that simply changing our communication style will fix that. Ooh. So then Janelle says, you know, she admits that doing her own thing with her own family is easy. But on the other hand that's not what she signed up for. She didn't sign up to be monogamous, basically. So Christine says, yeah, Janelle, you're right in the sense that, like, we're all at a crossroads. And with that, I want to move back to Utah. (laughs) So Christine makes a fair point. She's like, you know, the reason I want to move back to Utah is because I have a community there, I have family there, and I just can't imagine... 20 years from now, still living in Arizona and us being like stuck out on that coyote pass. And we're the only polygamists in the area. And then Christine says, you know, like, it sounds really lonely. It does it. And you know, it just sounds like maybe she's not like created a community for herself in Flagstaff. And, But on the other hand, like, I know that Christine really wants to be around her kids and around her family and Tony and his tacos and uh, what's-her-face just gave birth, McKelty, and she wants to be around her grandkids. That makes perfect sense. I get it. I get it. Um, Then Christine, we end the episode with Christine saying, like, I believe that if we don't start taking care of our community, then it's not going to exist. This is such an interesting... (laughs) episode because it's like they were kind of walking around what is really going on like they keep harping this season on you know it's COVID's fault it's ruining our family culture and what are we going to do what if this uh, COVID lasts for 18 months or so (laughs) hey (laughs) what about it girl (laughs) Well, I guess you can answer your question in a couple months. Um, but it seems like they're all wanting to blame COVID for their issues when yeah, there's so much more than that. Uh, uh, we'll see. Two hour finale, you guys, next week. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's move on to Seeking Sister Wife. It truly means a lot to me that Garrick and Roberta would set aside their intimacy for that first night. It gives me reassurance that Bert is in this for Garrick and also me, and that we're all united together. I didn't have to be alone. Eu não precisava ficar sozinha. No, no. <laughs> united sisters. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> After Roberta demanded that she stay the night in the room with us, Danielle had to go back and get her stuff and stuff, so me and Roberta were able to be intimate. Uh, quickly before Danielle came back, and it was a good laugh because Roberta was uh, laughing. Oh no, sister, be back! <laughs> um, does Danielle know that? 
No. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if I'm upset with you guys or not for having me watch Seeking Sister Wife, but I will tell you that I am all in and invested and extremely creeped out. <laughs> this wasn't like a gosh I was about to say like this wasn't super dramatic and dramatic is not the word it okay (laughs) I'm just like I'm flashing in my mind all of the things that happened this episode and I was really trying to give anybody at all the credit for not being fucking weird but I can't do it I can't y'all watch the episode you know the I guess we'll start from like most normal then to um wow what the fuck am I watching and I guess we'll start with the Sims, a.k.a. Mr. and Mrs. Woo Woo. So, Crystalline is headed back to South Africa. Apparently, everything went really well for them. They're all, like, on the same page. They want to continue this. But Mr. and Mrs. Woo Woo are a little bit nervous about the dynamics. Crystalline seemed genuinely upset to leave. She starts getting emotional and she says, you know, I'm going to... I'll be going back to my girls and like, that's great. But it's like, those are kids. And I, you know, like, I want to be part of this family. Um, like I said, everybody seems fully on board with continuing this relationship. And Crystalline is like, I'm going to come back as soon as possible with my two kids. And we'll see how everybody clicks. Turns out a few days later, they drop Crystalline off at LAX. And a few days later... Taylor's from Atlanta is coming. Taylor, the 29-year-old who told us last week that, you know, I've never practiced plural, whatever, polygamy, but um, I, she said something like, I grew up, you know, wanting to date everybody's girl for every girl's boyfriend um, in school. And I just didn't really understand why they would get mad at me because I just felt like we could all share. Like, you don't have to leave. I just want to date him, too. Well, I would like to hear from some of those girlfriends <laughs> today and see what their recollection of all of that was. Um, so Taylor comes up and like I said, Dimitri, Mr. Woo Woo was talking about how the it's like a tangled web that they have woven, right? Because in his mind, they met Crystalline first. So I guess she gets sort of first priority or something. And he's saying, well, what if Taylor comes into the situation and everything is fine on our end, but Crystalline doesn't like Taylor and they don't vibe? Like, I don't really know what we're going to do about that. And then, okay, I just have to say, like, the Snowden children, these children are the most friendly children I've ever seen. Because as soon as Taylor comes up in the back, in the front yard, they're hugging on her climbing on her like this is their girl their best friend and not just woman some woman that they you know has been living in their phone i really hope that the woo-woos are teaching their children about stranger danger because these kids don't seem to have any sort of enemy they keep talking about like our kids are you know the test and if they like you then this is a good sign but i feel like based on what i've seen they love everybody Taylor is very, like, free love. We're all in this together. She's saying, you know, I've always felt like people aren't possessions and I've just never understood how people can, you know, like or love somebody else and not want them to all be with each other. Okay, sure. Um, I'm... 
Okay, so then a producer says, do you feel like you could be Mrs. Snowden? And she's like, you know what? Secretly, I do write Taylor Snowden in my diary because I think it really sounds good. It looks really cute. Like, well, yeah, it's a cute name, but are you writing in our diaries? People's name, your name over and over. 29. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so then they do this like there's a lot of comparing like crystalline to taylor and um mrs woo woo is like you know taylor is like she walks into a room and she commands an audience and she commands attention whereas crystalline's a little bit more reserved and you know i'm wondering what that's gonna be like and also taylor's been you know single doesn't have children crystalline has kids and they're raising the great point of Crystalline has been living out here free, living her best life. How is she going to feel with, you know, three of our kids? And if Crystalline becomes part of our family, that's going to be five kids. Like, it could be very difficult going from that to five children. And that's a concern. That was really it for them. I want to shout out to whoever told me... I was under the impression that I wasn't going to be able to watch season one. So I didn't, but then I looked on my on demand and it is there. So I'm starting to rewatch season one, but shout out to you. I wish I could remember who said this, but you reached out to me and said that it's been rumored or maybe just outright said that, um, the reason why things have not worked out in the past with the Snowdens is because, homegirl mrs woo woo is like trying to get it in with the women and when that doesn't work then they have to go see i told you all you were, were horny i knew it i you know i'm a very intuitive person and i can pick up horny vibes very easily and i knew what i was looking at so thank you for confirming what i already knew within my heart so colton sleepy little colton and his two wives sophie and tammy are Looking for, you know, ugly little nursing chairs together at the, you know, uh, rooms to go or something. Their storyline this week was actually fair, pretty serious because we find out that Tammy has had several miscarriages. She says that they tend to happen around the eight week mark, which is really sad because, you know, she's like, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting comfortable with having the baby and then it's gone. Very sad. They have a very nice conversation about, you know... Tammy is a little bit struggling with not necessarily being happy for Sophie, but like, you know, it's just a difficult situation to see your sister wife heavily pregnant when things have not been able to work as well for you. But she says, you know, I am just going to do what I have to do. I'm going to be taking medication, see if that works. We move on from there. I've been to the doctor they can't see anything going on that might be happening. So I'm just going to keep moving forward and trying to be positive. Um, so then Sophie has a baby shower and this was maybe one of the most passive aggressive things I've ever seen. It was just real weird vibes. Just really weird vibes. Um, first we meet Sophie's maternal grandmother, Charlotte, who has the most confusing way of spelling Charlotte that I've ever seen. It's spelled C-H-A-R-O-L-E-T-T-E, -T -T -E, like Charlotte. Charlotte. Okay. Charlotte was not raised in polygamy, but she entered into it as an adult. And 
She says, you know, like, it's not easy. And sometimes it's even damn hard. Then Sophie's Aunt Laura. So she's her aunt through marriage. She is like, let's just get into it. Let's get down and dirty, girl. Tammy, do you feel like you're basically a maid in the house? Because she's like so pregnant and she's not doing anything. And you're just having to like cook and clean and tend to all the children. Like, do you feel like a maid? Do you feel bad about that? Like, how do you feel? Doesn't that feel awful? Do you just feel like she's going to have this baby and like, you know, you're just going to be cooking and cleaning and just like, you know, is that how you feel? Oh, are you, why are you crying? <laughs> so, Tammy says, honestly, I've never really felt any type of way about it because I know that if the, you know, she was on the other foot, Sophie would be, you know, taking care of the home and maintaining just as I am doing for her. And so Laura's like, okay, well, how would you feel like if she didn't do anything? You know, like, would that make you mad? <laughs> like, what if you married the wrong person and they didn't pull their rate? Like, would you feel upset about that? And it's like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but I didn't. What are you trying to say, Aunt Laura? <laughs> Damn. Can we just, like, put some little Snickers in a in a diaper and, and figure out which is which? Like, girl. Chill out, Laura. So... It seems like Laura is a monogamous because she's really hating and being very judgmental about the situation. And she just has a lot of opinions about how polygamy does not work. Then some lady named Bethany with braces is like, well, I've been hearing a little bit of chatter. Um, are you guys like trying to introduce somebody else into your family? And Sophie's like, yeah, actually, we're talking to this chick from North Carolina. She's going to be coming in a few weeks and I'm looking forward to it because... You know, like, she'll be here before the baby and we'll just be able to figure everything out. And Sophia's mom, April. I'm not going to say anything about April. Sophia's mom, April, says that, you know, like, I just think it's a really bad idea to bring another person into the mix when you're expecting a baby. Sophie really doesn't give a shit and is like, you know what, we're going to do what we want and we're not going to make apologies for it. So, you know, best, best of luck to y'all. Okay, let's move on to a couple that I have not spoken at before. The Clarks, a.k.a. the Minions. And I'm just going to say that I call, I believe his name is Gerard, a Minion. A, because he's built like one. B, because he looks like one. And C, because I just really have no problem body shaming him because he's a complete dickhead and a misogynist. So that's my truth. I don't like this man and it's on site. Like, I'm not going to really put my body in danger because he truly is built like SpongeBob SquarePants, but like just like a brick, you know, just like a wall of Sponge. Like if SpongeBob had concrete poured into him, like that's what he's built like. But it's on site theoretically with me and you, Gerard. Okay. So their deal is he married a chick named Vanessa. They decided to, you know, enter into plural marriage, quote unquote. But he says he practices something called polygyny. I think that's what he said, um, which is basically I'm the king and they're my queens, a.k.a. every what I say goes and, you know, whatever they get from that, you know, if they benefit from that, then great. But not really actively trying to be a good partner because ain't no partnership when I'm the head of the household. 
So Kayla is the sister wife, and I stand Kayla. Something about her gives me, like, Lisa Left Eye Lopez energy. I think it's because she's very petite, and she is very passionate. She kind of favors her a little bit. I'm a big fan of Kayla Left Eye. I like her. So here's the deal. Kayla's young. She's in her 20s. Vanessa and King Minion built a life together, had children. Here comes Kayla Cottontail. And basically, she is the nanny and the maid. Vanessa works. Minion works. She's been saddled with the task of raising their children and being the housewife. It has gotten to a breaking point because Kayla is basically like, I, this is not what fulfilling for me. I don't feel like you guys appreciate me and I'm also not satisfied just sitting here being a housewife. She's like 25 or 26, okay? Um, and like, if we're keeping it real, biologically, these are not her children, okay? So they got into a fight. When we first see them, they're moving into a house, but Kayla's not moved in. She moved out. They got into a big fight after Vanessa came home one day and I guess she had said something about like something had been spilled or something happened in the kitchen. So Vanessa was like, Kayla, you need to make sure that you keep an eye on this or something or put this thing back up or something like that. It was a relatively minor um, thing to Vanessa, but to Kayla, who's the 25 year old not feeling like she's contributing to the household other than being like the maid and the nanny, it made her blow up. And I think to me, it sounded like she felt like a child. And that's what it seems like. It seems like what she's trying to say. And that's what I'm picking up what she's putting down. So like I said, she's been living with her friend, but King Minion wants her to move back. So he sits down with Vanessa and is like, you know, we didn't have a talk about what you and Kayla talked about. Which is basically, like, Vanessa and Kayla seem to have a much better relationship, even though Vanessa makes it seem like, like, the issue is with them. It very clearly isn't. King Minion was right about one thing, which is that I feel like Kayla just blew up. Like, it could have been anything that you said to her. She was just going to pop off because she had just had enough. That's about where he ends be- with being right. So basically, they have a conversation. Kayla or Vanessa tells him what happened. Kayla's coming over. He proposes like survivor rules by having like a tribal commune, a tribal meeting, or whatever. He has to explain to us, the audience, how three adults can have a conversation. But he's like, you know, we're going to have this tribal commune because they call each other a tribe, which is problematic in and of itself. Um, you know, we're all just going to sit down and talk to each other. Oh, is that how that works? Oh, okay. Are you going to give us like an awk to hold to see who can talk at what time? Thank you, King Minion. But then he says, the twist in it is that misogyny. Misogyny is a twist. And he's like, you know, we can all talk, but at the end of the day, like I'm judge and jury (laughs) and add on executioner to that because he's their king and their leader. He really said that. He really said, I'm the king and the leader. Sir, you were five four. You were five foot four. Get out of my face. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Um, so... What the fuck is the point of you guys talking if you've basically just said, like, I get to make the decision on what happens from here? What's the point? Let's just cut out the middleman and you just tell me what to do. (laughs) No point in having a conversation, sir. So Kayla gets home and she's basically putting her foot down. She's like, I want to be independent. I have to get a job. When I moved out of here, you guys, it's not like you guys were taking care of me financially. Like I had to take care of myself. So she has these two jobs, but according to King Minion, they were flourishing before when Kayla was like stuck in the house and now they're not. Yeah. Cause you don't want to pay for a babysitter. Basically. Like, let's tell the truth, dude. They're acting like Kayla wanting to have a job and like have a fulfilling situation outside of the house is basically like a direct threat to their family culture and she's wrong for wanting more for herself it's pretty much two-on-one and they were like you know Vanessa and King Minion are like if you if we want this to work you know like we want this to work and we you know if we didn't love you we wouldn't be having this conversation okay but at the end of the day like if you're working that means that like we can't all work on our relationship together. Like, okay, you guys have jobs and that's okay. But Kayla not having a job is destroying their whole family. Make that make sense. Make that make sense. So King Minion starts talking about how, like, you know, when you were in the house, you didn't have to lift a finger and you were taken care of, blah, blah, blah. (sighs) No, all she did was lift a finger. Apparently. (laughs) he acts like she was just here living her best life and they were coming home from work and this is why you know he's a misogynist because he equates all the work that she does raising his children and taking care of the home as not lifting a finger sick kayla immediately starts getting really heated and honestly i don't blame her and she says okay so are we just here to talk about how basically everything is my fault and i'm the reason why we're in the place that we are because I feel like y'all are both playing the blame game and pointing fingers at me when there are other issues that have led to me leaving the house. King Minion starts to act like he has no idea what she's talking about. And so Kayla's like, you know, when I'm here, I feel like I'm supposed to listen to everything that you say and do and do everything that you want me to do. So then Minion is like, you know, when Kayla gets upset, she leaves a wake of destruction So she gets up and she's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and listen to you two blame me for everything when you know that that's not the truth. So she starts walking out of the house and she says, all you guys are trying to do is like have me on camera, making me look like a piece of shit. And like, you guys are perfect to 
you know, steal a quote from King Curtis, like, you're the queen and we're just the sorry people, okay? And then she's screaming, screaming outside, screaming in her car. King Minion's just standing out there with his hands on his hips, like the fucking Michelin man. Vanessa comes out and she's trying to get her to come back in the house, but Kayla's fed up. King Minion goes inside and Kayla calms down immediately. They're having, she and Vanessa are having this heart to heart conversation and she tells Vanessa like, girl, I'm not going anywhere, but he just pisses me off. (laughs) And Vanessa's like, I agree with you. He seems to have the innate ability to piss a bitch off. And in these moments, you need to put your pride aside and let love speak because that's what a sister wife for life does. (laughs) (laughs) She had me at the first part. I'm not going to lie, but she lost me. (laughs) She lost me after that. So then she talks her down enough, cools her down enough for Kayla to come back inside. But as soon as she sees King Minion, she's pissed off again and says, listen, I have a double shift to work tomorrow, but I get off at eight. I'll be back around eight. And King Minion's like, okay. So she starts to leave again. And she's like, are you going to kiss me? Goodbye. And he's like, are you serious? It's like, no, I'm good on that. Of course, she's like, all right, well, fuck you, bitch. She <laughs> she didn't say that, but she did scream bullshit and just ran out of the house. Oh, I'm on Kayla's side. I am absolutely on Kayla's side. Let's finish this with some of the most perverted shit I've ever seen on TLC. And I've watched that Duggar special after you know what happened. This shit was weird. This was weird. (laughs) Woo! This was weird. I'm getting chills just thinking about it, you guys. We start off the episode with Joel Osteen and Danielle. Garrick and Danielle. And Roberta. Excuse me. Uh, Garrick and Roberta and also Danielle. Um, So the episode begins with them filming Sad Sack Danielle's room. We can see that, like, she's got stuff in there, but the room's empty and the bed is made it doesn't look like anybody's been in there so then they pan over to joel osteen's room next door and we see him and roberta and then danielle on the other side of him according to danielle roberta said you know she felt bad about leaving danielle so she asked danielle to come over and they stayed up talking until two. And you could tell that this like really took a weight off of Danielle's shoulder. She just feels so relaxed. She's so grateful to Roberta, her friend and sister. And by the way, we have to talk about this. So f- flag on the play for now. I forgot to rem- to um, tell you guys last week that Roberta, Garrick, and Danielle refer to the women as sister. So Garrick calls Danielle and Roberta sister when he's talking to the other one about the other one. He's like, oh, sister said this or sister did that. They call each other sister. It's getting weird. It's getting weird. This And it just makes his next everything that happens after that even more weird. So Roberta, they're all in bed. Roberta's talking to the translator app and says, you know, last night was very special. So I wanted to bring sister close to us. 
That's a sentence I never want to hear again. <laughs> I am uncomfortable. She continues by saying, I was not going to be able to leave you alone in there in that room because we haven't seen each other in a long time and love, my love for you spoke louder. So I brought you here, my little baby. And so they're trying to figure out who she's calling my little baby. Turns out it's Danielle. So Roberta calls Danielle, not only her sister, but her little baby. Okay, so it just it gets worse you guys (laughs) somehow it gets worse what are but like question what are the odds that like they heard danielle just like wailing crying from the other part of the wall (laughs) and we're just like girl just come over i i can't be getting my rocks off while you're crying and listening to like you know will you still love me tomorrow So then Joel Osteen was like, you know, after Roberta demanded that Danielle join us, Danielle ended up going back to her room to get some things. So we were able to be intimate while we waited for Danielle to come back. And then he starts laughing. And then he's like, and this is not the laughter of somebody who's embarrassed by what he just said. This is the laughter of somebody who is tickled fucking pink that he banged his fiance while his wife that he just divorced was gathering her things picture her on the other side of that wall so excited to like you know like a childlike glee at being able to have a sleepover and not have to spend one night her first night alone from her husband while he's blowing roberta's back out She's so happy. She's getting her night creams. She's getting, I don't know, probably a Bible so they can read verses to one another. Who knows what she was getting? On the other end of that wall, he had bent Roberta over. And you guys, it gets fucking worse. It gets worse. (laughs) He says, you know, it was so funny because as we were doing it, Roberta kept saying, Oh no, sister be back. Sister be back. (gasps) I will jump out of this window right now. I will buy a ticket to get to the top of the Empire State Building and free fall. I want to get out of this. I want to crawl out of my skin. Ew. Ew. (laughs) So then the producer says, does Danielle know that? And he starts laughing harder and he's like, (laughs) no, she doesn't, the stupid bitch. Like, I mean, he hates her. He does not like her. And not only does he not like her, he gets off on sexually humiliating her. Like I told y'all, she is a fucking cuckold. And he, ugh, he's a sick man. Ew, what am I watching? (laughs) Call the police. Call an ambulance. (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's all... Let's all get it together. Okay. So later, they have to take a tour. They're taking a tour of different venues for um, Joel and Roberta's wedding ceremony, right? So they're all going as a threesome to check out the property, yada, yada, yada. Roberta says, you know, it's really important that Danielle's involved because 
I recognize what a big sacrifice it was that she made for me by divorcing this man. And so like, I want her to be involved and I don't want her to feel left out. So the guy is giving them a tour of the grounds and he's trying to ask like, you know, how many people do you guys think? Because it's going to be, you know, based on how many people you guys think you're going to have, I'm, you know, show you the venues that are going to be a good fit for you guys. So Danielle immediately was like, you know, I think you should probably be around 40 people. But Garrick basically ignores her and is like, you know, Roberta, how many people do you think that you're going to have? And I just feel like he, he was really like dismissive of Danielle. So then Danielle says, you know, like, it's hitting me hard to see how he treats Roberta. Then they go to the next venue. And Danielle's, like, reflective about her wedding with Garrick. And she's like, you know, I just, looking back on my wedding, I just never imagined getting a divorce and then, you know, planning a ceremony, you know, for my technically (laughs) ex-husband. So... And she's like, you know, it just makes me feel like maybe the ceremony that Garrick and I had just didn't mean as much. And so she t- talks to us like, yeah, we got married outside. You know, it was like, you know, there were grass and trees and you know, we had our rehearsal or not rehearsal reception indoors, but it didn't look like this. It wasn't on the coast of Cabo San Lucas. I can tell you that right now. Like, I guess she feels like he really cheaped out on me, but he's willing to splash out the cash on a beachside international wedding for his sweet Roberta, his actual wife. Ooh, okay. So they sit down, they're having like some fruit and they're talking about the details. And the lady who is showing them around is like, oh, Danielle, she turns to Danielle and says, you know, what do you think your role in the wedding ceremony is going to be? And Danielle's like, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but I think I'm going to be the maid of honor. Like, well, (laughs) do you, (laughs) have you, have you and sister discussed this? Because that's a big role that you just, um, put your panties on for. And I'm not sure if that's happening, sister. So then Danielle drops the, you know, news and says, you know, just so you know, we're together. We're both his wives. You know, this is like a thing. And the lady's like, all right, well, you know, whatever. As long as you guys put down the deposit, I don't, whatever. Um, So Danielle says, you know, like, I really wanted to be involved in the wedding, but I'm worried that Garrick is too focused on Roberta's wedding and her happiness. And I just wonder if he thinks about our ceremony and the special moments that we've had. Well, he hasn't, girl. (laughs) Maybe he thought about that when he... (laughs) Maybe he thought about that when you were in your other room and, you know, when uh, he put Roberta in a pretzel position and you guys did reverse cowgirl. Maybe he thought about it then. But other than that, probably not. Um, And then she says, you know, I do want to live in plural marriage, but I just have my concerns. And the producer's like, well, what are your concerns? And she says, you know, I just feel like people might change over time. And the producer's like, do you think that Garrick feelings and Roberta's feelings might change for you and she's like yeah and then she starts getting emotional and it's like um can I just take a minute and walks away crying <sighs> cuckolded again cuckolded again mm. all right y'all that's the end of the episode Woo, another long one my apologies if you guys want to give me a 
five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate that. It helps me get noticed on the charts and gets me a wider audience. And you guys know, because I'm here having a podcast that I love the attention. So if you could do me that favor, do me a solid. I'd really appreciate that. And with that, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for speaking.